Amen. If you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Mark, book of Mark chapter 5. Also, we have some of the notes. If you would like a copy of tonight's notes, you can just raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a copy of tonight's notes. We're on week number 10 of this series. It's more than a name. Week number 10. And I hope that God has been speaking to you through these lessons. I also wanted to mention that we do have the baptismal tank. It may sound like a strange announcement, but we do have the baptismal tank filled up tonight. And if you've been saved and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, but you've never been scripturally baptized, that's the next step for you. And we also have the, the, the robes and we have towels that are ready. If you've never been baptized and you would like to get baptized even after this service, uh, the one thing in the Bible that, that uh, was a hindrance to someone getting baptized and Jesus said, if, if, if thou believest, thou mayest. Uh, or Philip said, if thou believest, thou mayest. And they said, uh, they found some water, so we've got water. And if you want to get baptized, you can even do that tonight. And if that's something you'd like to know a little bit more about, what does the Bible talk about baptism, I'd be happy to show you from the Bible what, what it is, what it means, why it's important that we follow the Lord in believer's baptism. It always comes after we get saved. Some people think, well, you know, Pastor, when I was about... Uh, uh, six months old, I got baptized. I don't really remember it, but my parents tell me I got baptized, you know. And obviously, that wouldn't be baptism in the sense of the Bible, okay? I'm not saying that it wasn't important at the time, but baptism does not involve a little bit of water. Sprinkling is not baptism, according to the Bible. Baptism involves a lot of water, and there's a reason for that. And so we'll, we could take the time to show you from the Bible what it means as well. Mark chapter 5, we're going to learn tonight about a shameless nameless maniac a shameless nameless maniac he's called the maniac of Gadara and we'll read about him in just a few moments just this morning I got some communication from one of our missionaries I mentioned it earlier brother Johnson has been serving for many years in South Africa him and his family and he said something like this he said God is doing it this was a text message God is doing a great work, but our, but our adversary, but we have a, see, how did he say it? We have a powerful adversary or something like that. And yes, God is doing a great work. God is working. I'm thankful for that. But we also know that we have an adversary. The Bible calls uh, the Satan an adversary, compares him to a roaring lion that walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so... Satan is a lot more than just bothersome. Satan is a beast. He's not just a bother like a little mosquito flying around. A fly got in our basement apartment, and we had this fly all over there today. You know, if you get one fly in, it's like, man, that just bothers you. You know, and it's like, where, how did that guy get in here? You know, Satan's not a fly. He's not a mosquito, he's not a gnat that's bothersome. Satan is a beast, and he's all about destruction. We've made that very clear many, many times. And so, John 10.10, 10, John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is exactly the goal of Satan in our lives. Steal, kill, destroy. 
There's not an individual in the Bible, possibly, who proves the destructive nature of Satan any more than the individual that we're going to look at tonight. This maniac, this unnamed, demon-possessed man. Now, Satan's power is limited. He is not omnipotent like Christ. His power is limited. And the good news is, at the end of this Bible story, Satan meets his match, and he's overcome. But let's look at this lesson as we get into this lesson. Let's, a couple other things um, uh, by way of introduction. Psalm 62, 11, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. So while Satan is a beast, as a believer, we don't have to fear him. Because our power is not in ourselves, our power is in, in the Lord. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. You may come to a very difficult time this week. You may be in one right now. You know, a great thing to meditate on is this. There is, no, there is nothing too difficult for thee. I didn't say there was nothing too difficult for me. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are too difficult for me. But Jeremiah said, there's nothing too difficult for thee. And as we learned this morning, if you're saved and on your way to heaven, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. You have God in your life. You don't have God as a, just uh, at church. The Lord is with you. And so you may come to a very challenging uh, moment this week. You can say in your heart of hearts, uh, Lord, this is not too difficult for thee, if you want to use the King James English right there. The Lord, is not, the Lord, this is not too difficult for you. I'm claiming that promise. And by the way, you can claim that promise. Lord, this is very difficult for me, but this is not too difficult for you. Now again, as we said, Satan is on a mission to destroy. We said earlier, the Bible said he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the opposite of Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal is saving lives, restoring lives, making lives new. So let's take a look at this outline. Number one is a demonic presence. A demonic or demonic presence. All right, you're in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. We see Satan's presence right away in this incident. Another name we have for Satan in the Bible is the name Lucifer. And uh, his rebel angels were cast out of heaven. So the battle that we have tonight, the battle that you have tonight, that we all have tonight, is not a battle of flesh and blood, as Paul said, but it's a battle of principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, Ephesians 6, verse 12. So it wasn't even just this, I guess you could say this madman or this wild man, it was what was in him that was the problem. Thankfully, as a believer, we cannot be possessed 
uh, with a demon as this because we have God's spirit in us and you can't have God's spirit and have a demon with you at the same time. Letter A, we find that this demonic individual had a very morbid residence. Notice where he lived. The Bible says that he came, uh, he met him out of the tombs. And the Bible said in verse 3 that he had his dwelling among the tombs. Okay, what's in the, what's, where, where the tombs are, what's there? What's there in the area of the tombs? Dead people, right. I mean, what a place to live. What a place to reside. But that's where he's at. He's among the bodies of those who died, who have died. It, it's a little bit of a picture of Ephesians 2.1, which says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before we got saved, that's what you were, that's what I was. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But that word quickened there in Ephesians 2.1, and you that were quickened, it, it, means, it doesn't mean they ran really fast. It means they were made alive. So we were just like one of those dead corpses in the tomb, but when we came to Christ, we were made alive, spiritually speaking. We were quickened. Now this particular man, though, he had his dwelling among the tombs. Mankind today has the same condition without Christ. Mankind today is dead. Now, mankind does a really good job, tries to do a really good job of, uh, of decorating. But the condition doesn't matter if that person lives in a $2 million home or a, I don't know, a 10000 Is there anything for 10000 I don't think there is. <laughs> $10 million home, there we go, let's go a little higher. We have to go higher now, okay? Uh, or... Or whatever, it doesn't matter. They can doctor it up. They can wear, you know, the, the nicest threads that money can buy or even that credit can buy. They can doctor it up. They can doll it up. It doesn't matter. It's still somebody who's dead in the sense of spiritually speaking. It doesn't matter how much money. It doesn't matter how nice the car or whatever. These things aren't wrong in and of themselves. But regardless of whatever we're living in or wearing or whatever, it doesn't change the inside, only, the, only Christ can do that. And we praise him for the power of the change that the gospel makes from the inside out. So we see a morbid residence. L letter B, we see a mocking rebellion. A mocking rebellion. You know, notice the power that this man showed uh, to the crowd and to people that were there. Look at verse number 3. No man could bind him, no, not with chains. Verse 4, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. So obviously they had tried to maybe keep this guy from hurting himself. They had tried to keep this guy from scaring everybody. But the Bible says that the chains had been plucked asunder by him. The fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. It didn't matter how tight the chains were wrapped around him. It didn't matter how 
strong they were. It was like, you know, just like a, a, big, a big man breaking through a little string. And uh, he had this supernatural, if you will, this strength, if you will, this invincible feeling. And by the way, I think this is the, the lie that Satan uh, portrays to, to, to people that are lost. It's as if uh, they're invincible. And even this, the, to the point of really not even fearing death, because I think many times uh, the, the thought process of what is going to happen to me when I die really is taken away by the, in, the thought of invincibility. That it becomes so prevalent in someone's life that what is reality is that to, be, to, to die without Christ is, is a horrible eternity that will never change. But that's the last thing on many people's minds that are without Christ. It's more of, man, I, I, I've, got, I've got the world by the tail. I've got it all figured out. And, and, and all this Bible stuff, it's just a bunch of, it, it's just a bunch of um, fiction. And see, Satan's good at convincing many of that. And so it turns into a mocking rebellion. Proverbs 14, 9, fools make a mock at sin. I pray that you and I as believers would never allow Satan to bring us to the place of living our lives that way. Let her see a monstrous rage. A monstrous rage. This man may have mocked and laughed at God at some point in his life, but now he's in a place where he is completely out of control. He is completely under the power of Satan. What a sad place to be. Again, that's not what anybody thinks. You know, addictions are like that, right? You know, substances are like that. The, the abuse of substances, the idea is, in many times, is this is never going to go where it went with this person, or this is never, you know, I, I'm strong enough, I can handle one, I can handle two, I can handle whatever, and you know what, that's a lie. It may not be something that we are ingesting or whatever. It may be something that we're watching. It may be something that we're, we're looking at. And, you know, I can look every once in a while and it'll be okay, but that's the lie. It won't be okay. It's trying to destroy. It's trying to destroy. It's trying to kill. It's trying to rob. And there's no way of knowing how far this this rage can take us. Look at verse number five of our text. And always, think of that word right now, always. Always. Never was there a break. Always. Night and day. 24-7, 365. 
He was in the mountains. He was in the tombs. Crying. Cutting himself. With stones. Now this is not the advertisement of sin, is it? Is this what sin advertises? Yes or no? No. Sin doesn't say, hey, follow me. You're going to end up cutting yourself with stones night and day and be crying all the time. That's not what sin says. Sin, sin doesn't say, hey, watch me. Look at me. You know, it's going to end in an addiction and you'll never be able to get out of it. Sin doesn't say, you know, hey, come and, come and follow me and you'll end up, you know, your whole life will be ruined. You'll lose your family. You'll lose your job. You'll lose everything. Follow me. Sin doesn't do that. Sin says, follow me. I'll show you a great time. Sin says, try me. You'll be glad you did. You see, that's the lie of the devil. Because he's all about deception, isn't he? Absolute magic, quote, absolute magic proclaims a print ad for a popular vodka. Another wording for this vodka, paradise found. Wow. Again, these aren't headlines that say, that sounds like a really bad thing. I'm going to stay away from it. No, it sounds like a really good thing. Fairy tales can come true, says a third ad about a certain popular vodka. All these ads illustrate the major premise of alcohol advertising, which is a mythology. Alcohol is magic, a magic carpet that can take you away. It can make you successful, sophisticated, sexy. Without it, your life will be dull, mediocre, and ordinary. Everyone wants to believe in happy endings, but as most of us know, the reality of alcohol for many people in our society is more like a horror story than a fairy tale. The liquid in the glass is definitely not a magic potion. Alcohol is related to parties, good times, celebration, and fun, but it is also related to murder, suicide, unemployment, and child abuse. Do they, do they advertise that in the ads? Of course not. The Bible warns us about the pleasure of sin. Hebrews 11.25 talks about enjoying the pleasure of sin for a season. A season. Think about a season. Okay? We are already at June 18th. Can you believe it? We're almost halfway through the year. That's going to be almost two seasons. The, again, think about how quickly a season comes and then a season goes. It's like all of a sudden... Wow, kids are going back to school again. What happened to summer? Sorry, parents, I'm not trying to make you think about that already. But, uh, you know, kid, well, actually, that's a good thing, right? No. Uh, I can't believe it. It's Christmas again. I can't believe it. It's Easter. I can't believe it. It's, you know, summer. I can't. It's just. That's how fast the pleasure of sin wears off. Think about it. What's God trying to tell us? It wears off as fast as a season goes. And seasons come and they go. They're gone. Just quickly. Summer, spring, summer, fall, winter. Like the brevity of a season, alcohol, drugs, illicit sexual encounters, gambling, thievery, brutality, it's all short-lived. All of it. 
The season of pleasure for this man in Mark 5, would you not, you see this? The season of pleasure is gone. I think probably there was a season of pleasure for him. We don't know, we don't have that, but we see the end of it. And the end of it is anything but pleasure. He's cutting himself, crying all day, all night, in the mountains and in the tombs. This is not what he had in mind. This is not what anybody has in mind. This man is now the home of a legion of demons who torment him night and day. Uh, Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, say, excuse me. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Proverbs 13, 15, the way of transgressors is hard. So number one, a demonic presence. Number two, we see a desperate plea. A desperate plea. Look at verse six, please. Mark 5, 6, letter A, the drawing of a loving Savior. In spite of all that we just talked about, here's the good news. There is a loving Savior. There is a loving Savior. Now, if we just closed our books and went home on that first point, a demonic presence, boy, that would be pretty heavy. And just think about that for the rest of the week. Oof. That's kind of getting kicked in the gut. That doesn't really leave a lot of hope. But that's not where the story concludes. Verse number six. But when he saw Jesus afar off. Get this picture. Here's the maniac. He's probably got scars from cutting himself with stones. And yet he sees Jesus afar off and even the demons that are in him know who that is. Even the demons that are in him that are controlling him know that's somebody different. And the Bible says that he runs to the, demon, or he runs to the Lord Jesus and he worships him. What an interesting statement. It would seem to me like a demonic man would run away from God. But no, he runs to him. Again, indicating that he knew exactly who he was. John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. We never know how God is working in the hearts of hurting people that are around us. We must never give up on someone who we might see as someone who is living in something that is just, in, in, I mean, they're engrossed in it like this man, and yet we see the drawing of a loving Savior. Hosea chapter 11 is a beautiful picture of, in the Old Testament of how God lovingly drew the nation of Israel to himself. Now think about it, if you know anything about it, this particular thought is the nation of Israel, they weren't always lovable in the way they lived and obeyed God. In fact, they were anything but. And it's, it, yet it says in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And as they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto who? Balaam. Whoa, wait a minute, time out. 
Did Balaam bring them out of Egypt? No. Balaam's a false god. And yet here they are. They were brought out of Egypt, and then instead of worshiping God, they start worshiping Balaam. Let's keep reading. And burned incense to graven images. Did they graven images bring them out of Egypt? Of course not. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. No, this verse 4, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. The drawing of a loving Savior. That even though I am unlovable, he still loves me. Praise God for that. Let her be the demands of a legion of spirits, the demands of a legion of spirits. Well, the, the, the man has made his way to Jesus in verse number seven and cried with a loud voice, what have I to do with thee? Now, this is not the man. It's the man's voice, but it's those, that legion that's inside of him. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? Again, pretty amazing that um, demons know who Jesus is. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. Demons know Jesus is the Son of God. Something to take note of. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And 2,000 demons, a legion. And yet Jesus has no trouble overcoming them. Satan has no power over us when it comes to going against him in the power of the, of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Yes, he has a lot of power over me and my flesh. I will, never, I will never be able to defeat him. But again, when that difficulty, times, that difficulty time comes, we're to claim that promise that we talked about earlier. This is not too difficult for thee, God. While it may be for me, it is not too difficult for thee. Number three, a divine power. A divine power. As we see here, Christ's power over the demons, remember this power is available to us. We mentioned that. Letter A, an absolute power. An absolute power. Verse 13, forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out so away they go now remember he had commanded them to go out he had commanded them to leave and so he has victory over them and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea there were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea brother Kim there's somebody out there in the lobby they might have a question thank you Satan is a defeated foe. Again, we look at the cross and we see victory through the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 2.14, that through death, he, Jesus, might destroy him, Satan, that had the power of death, that is the devil. 
So my power, my strength is not in me. My power, my strength is in the Lord Jesus. So it's not just, I'm not just a follower of Jesus Christ and trust Christ as Savior so that I can go to heaven someday. It's so that I can have victory right now. Satan wants to defeat, Satan wants to kill and destroy, but God says, no, I have victory for you. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So it's an absolute power. Letter B, the people that were around there, they were an astonished people. An astonished people. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Verse uh, 14. And they that fed the swine fled. <laughs> this was not good for them because all of a sudden all these pigs, they go over the, they go over the cliff and they're, they're toast. And uh, they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what was done. Now this is an amazing, an amazing event. No question about it. Let's take our Bibles though and turn to Luke 10 for just a minute. Let's put it in perspective. Let's put it in perspective. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And uh, let's look at verse number 20. Notwithstanding in this rejoice. So Jesus says, notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the spirits are subject unto you. So, in other words, uh, the, the demons, they were subject unto Christ. I mean, it's a powerful display, and, and praise the Lord for it. But Jesus says here, don't rejoice so much in the fact that the spirits are subject unto you, but he said, in this rejoice, because your names are written where? In heaven. What is this saying? The, the amazement, the, the, the amazement that God has over nature or the amazement that God has over demonic powers pales in comparison to the fact that we should rejoice as a Christian tonight, not that the power is, we have in Christ is available to us, not that we can go around and do that kind of stuff necessarily, but because my name is written in heaven, that's something to really rejoice about. Satan can't write it, can't erase it. Satan can't take it out. I mean, there are so many things that come into our life that will try to distract us from what is really worthy of rejoicing over, and that is that we're on our way to heaven as a Christian, and really nothing that can come into our life, in Romans 8, can separate us from the love of God. There's a lot of things there that, 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 that Paul lists in Romans 8, and this, 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 and he says, nay, none of these things can separate us from the love of Christ. He even says in Romans 8, 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The words of a song written in 1909 by George Beverly Shea highlight the amazing wonder that God loves us. Even more, even more amazing than the wonder of his power over creation. The words are, there's the wonder of sunset at evening. The wonder of sunrise I see. I mean, they, we have some beautiful sunsets. We have some beautiful sunrises. 
But George Beverly Shea said, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all. Just to think that God loves me. Number four, we see a distinct peace. Okay, the tide is turned. The transformation is not a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. This is an immediate transformation. Right? Look what it says back in Mark chapter, letter A, is a drastic change. A drastic change. Mark 5.15. Here comes all the townspeople. When was the last time they were in this neck of the woods? Might have been a long time because whenever they went there, they knew who they were going to run into. Crazy man. But remember, the, the swine owners had gone into town and said, hey, come on out here. Something's happening. And they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed. Notice the word was possessed. Two words, was possessed. That's past tense because he's not possessed anymore. With the devil. And had the legion. And now, remember what he was doing earlier? He was running around in the tombs and in the mountains 24-7. Can you imagine the energy that must have been in him from those demons that he literally, I don't know if that means he never stopped at all, but it sure would seem that he was constantly moving. Some of you say, I have kids that never stop moving. No, you don't, not like this. And what's the first word that is used to describe him? You see it? Sitting. That, that's it. that says so much. Sitting. Peace. What do you do when you're nervous? I don't know what you do when you're nervous, but I don't sit still. And if I am sitting, I'm not sitting still. Something's moving. Leg, arm, hand, something. Most of the times, though, it involves moving. If I'm really dwelling on something and thinking about it, and I'm, bo I'm not bothered, but I'm just nervous or whatever, there's that nervous energy that is in us that naturally, we don't just sit down and just wait. No, we, we, have, we get up, and maybe we'll sit down for a little bit, but not long. But here is a man who Jesus has just delivered him, and the first word that describes him is that he's sitting. He is at peace. For the first time in a long time. Notice the next word. Clothed and clothed. <laughs> that, must, that must mean that this man, not only was he running around, but this man was running around in his birthday suit. He didn't even have any clothes on. Bible mentions it for a purpose. This is not the same man. He's not running around, and he's got clothes on. What's happened to this guy? Notice the next thing. And in his right mind. And isn't it amazing what it says? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to criticize them, 
but it says they were afraid. What? I would have been more afraid of the nutso cutting himself, sorry, running around in the tombs, running around in the mountains like a wild man, and yet now he's sitting clothed in his right mind, and they're afraid. Again, I'm not, maybe I would have been afraid too. I don't know. This unnamed demoniac lived in the cemetery, and now he's changed. What a transformation takes place. And again, for him, this particular thought is that it was a drastic change. It was so evident that God had done something in his life. And can I say this, that when God saves us, there will be an evident change in our life. We don't get saved because we change. But we will change because we are saved. We will have a desire to read the word of God. We will have a desire to be with the people of God. It's only natural when God is our heavenly father, we are the family of God. There will be a desire to gather if you're saved. And we see that it was drastic. Letter B, quickly, we see a demented condemnation. Not everybody was glad. You'd think they would have said, hey, let's start the parade. The demoniac is sane again, you know. Let's have a, you know, let's have a fellowship and let's all celebrate his sanity. Verse 16, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him. Now, this isn't pray like, dear Lord, help me, you know, to do a good job. And all. They began to pray him out of their coast. What, are they, what is this saying? They were wanting Jesus to leave. Okay, you can go now. Wow. I'll tell you who's cuckoo now. It's the townspeople. But that's exactly what happened. They had put up with a man living in a cemetery, crying and cutting himself, breaking chains, remember, breaking chains, running around naked, but now, because he's sitting in his right mind, has clothes on, isn't, isn't doing all of that anymore, anymore, they are afraid. Interesting, in the notes, I want to read this to you. Lost people get so used to seeing sin all around them that nothing shocks them. Think about this. Nothing shocks You know what? We're living in that, in that period of time right now. And may it never be that it, nothing shocks you because, man, it, it's incredible at, at the depravity of man. But to the lost world, nothing shocks them. But when a person's life is changed by the power of the gospel... You know what sometimes can be, can be said? Well, that's just a cult. Stay away from that. That's a cult. It, that's exactly kind of like what happened here. You know, all of a sudden, this man is, you know, they, they were used to this man running around, cutting himself, breaking the chains. They just got used to seeing that. As soon as his life changed, no, we don't like this. So, Jesus, you need to get out of here, please. A demented condemnation. 
Letter C, a desired companionship. A desired companionship. Verse 18, and when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed, so Jesus goes back to the ship. Do you see the picture? He got off the ship. Here comes the demon, bows down to him and all of that. We won't re-go through it. They say, you know what, you can leave now. So he goes on the ship, and now following right behind him is the uh, man who had been possessed with the devil, or excuse me, yeah, the man who had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. This is a different prayer, if you will. One group says, hey, we want you to leave, and we want you to leave now. Then the man whose life was changed says, I want to be with you. Again, that's a sure sign that somebody's been changed because they want to be with Jesus. You know what? I can't be with Jesus physically. I can't see him. But I can be with Jesus anytime I want in his word. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. It doesn't have to be on Wednesday. It doesn't have to be on whatever day. It can be any day. And so, again, as someone whose life has been changed, and again, don't be so concerned about the power over the demons or the power over this, but that your name is written in heaven in this rejoice and be, and be thankful that we can go and meet with Jesus anytime we want. His word. And this demonic man said, I want to be with you. Wow. Do you realize this man had not had time to go through a discipleship course? Wow. What do you know, Brother Barry? He didn't have to go through 20 lessons. I'm not belittling discipleship. It's good. It's important. This man just got saved. But it was real. I wonder if what you have is real. You will have to answer that. You don't have to answer that to me. You have to answer that to God. Is what you have in Christ real? I believe it was real in his life. As far as we know, this man had not been baptized yet. Oh my goodness, what in the world? Is baptism not good? Of course baptism is good. That's not the lesson. The point is he wanted to be with Jesus. This man obviously had not had time to go to Patch Club. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. Anyway, this man had not had time to go to Bible College or Faith Bible Institute. You can name everything you want to name, but he had one thing going right, and that's one thing that I want to never lose sight of in my life, and that is that he wanted to be with the Lord. Help me if I get to a place in my life where I don't want to be with the Lord. And there's so many other things in my life that take up my time that I don't have time to be with Jesus. Help me about that. But it was very clear that he wanted to be with the Lord. This sudden love for Christ was an evidence of the man's salvation. It's the most natural thing in the world for a Christian to want to spend time with Christ. When you love someone, you want to be with them. This unnamed man of the Gadarenes had his life radically transformed. And the first thought was, I want to be with you. Letter D, a doable command. A doable command. Mark 5, 19 in our text. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. 
you know, again, she, this man had not been to church. As far as we know, he had never been to church. He had obviously never gone to any kind of a discipleship course. But this man had a very powerful tool. What was his tool? Well, yep, sure, he had the word of God. Jesus told him what to do. His tool was his testimony. His testimony. By the way, you have a testimony. That's also your tool and my tool. His life was changed. The blind man said in John 9, 25, one thing I, one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. The song that we've sang and many people sing that don't even know the Lord, I'm not saying that, I'm trying to be unkind, but it's the, probably one of the most famous hymns is the hymn Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You may or may not know the history of that song. This is just a quick synopsis. It was written by a man by the name of John Newton. And in 1779, John Newton wrote this as a testimony of what God did in his own life. Before he became a Christian, Newton lived an ungodly, blasphemous life as a sailor. And he even was a captain of a slave ship. He had early Christian influences in his life, his mother. He spurned that influence. He rejected that influence of his mother and lived as an infidel, lived in debauchery and mocked the things of God. However, one day, God began to work conviction in his heart. One day, he was at sea, and a great storm came. And again, this is a very a Reader's Digest condensed version, but he believed on Christ and cried out to God for salvation. His life was radically transformed. John Newton would eventually become a pastor, as well as an advocate, very outspoken for the abolition of the slave trade. In fact, Amazing Grace was his song. It was his story, if you will. It was his testimony that once he was blind, but now he could see by the amazing grace of God. It was a doable command. Letter E, it was a dynamic catalyst. This man did exactly what Jesus told him. Verse 20, we're just about done. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis. I wish I had time to go into that. Decapolis, it's a, it's a ten-city region. That's obviously the word deca. Deca means ten. And he began to publish the message, his testimony. And actually, when Jesus comes back to this very same area, don't have time, but Mark 7, 31 to 37, the reception is a little bit different the next time around because of this man's testimony. As we said earlier tonight, the devil has all kinds of advertisements. He's got the best lures, not for fishing, but for luring you and me away from the goodness of God into a life of sin. His advertising is false. It's really good, but it's false. But I submit to you tonight that the change that the gospel made in this man's life was a far more powerful advertisement than anything Satan has to offer. Here's this man sitting, clothed in his right mind. 
All because he met with Jesus. And because he met with Jesus, he now has a, a life, a testimony, an advertisement, if you will. What happened to you? I met a man named Jesus. By the way, let me tell you about it. What happened to you? By the way, I met a man named Jesus. Let me tell you about him. You know what? You have a story. You have a testimony. You may not have been quite like this guy, but we all deserved to go to a devil's hell. But by the grace of God, his hand reached way down. When the Savior reached down for me, he had to reach way down. He reached way down. He lifted us up out of the miry clay, set our feet on a rock. And if you're on your way to heaven tonight, you're on your way to heaven because of the love of God for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, why put it off another day? Why put it off another day? You have one less day to come to Christ when you say no today. You have one less day. And how many more days do you have ahead of you? Only God knows. Only God.